In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. I'm especially excited about our show today because I think it's another example of the variety we bring to this podcast and the variety we bring to the HSE subject and especially safety. As today, my guest on the show is Aaron Thorpe. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, like I said, thank you. I'm especially excited about this because I think what we're going to talk about is very important. And I think it's not always emphasized. And it's actually a subject that we do try to emphasize on, on this show. And now we got an expert to uh, talk about it because, Aaron, you're an author, you're a speaker. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. You're the author of a book, I think it's entitled, is it called Inside Out Empathy? That is correct. Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, it started actually as a bit of a journaling exercise when I was going through a particularly difficult time with one of my children. And when I shared some of what I had been writing about, a mentor at the time was like, this is a book. And I'm like, I'm not a writer. I'm an engineer. And she's like, <laughs> well, you just wrote this thing. So I think you're a writer. For anybody that hasn't been through the process of publishing a book, you write a really crappy first draft, and then you get some really good editors in that provide lots of feedback. And the finished product looks very different than the first draft ever did. But yeah, that's kind of how it came to be. And it really was my thoughts on leadership at the time and kind of what I thought I needed to hear when I was first starting out and kind of wish someone had told me. Okay. Well, I'm excited to let you tell us. I may have even jumped ahead of myself here. So you say you're an engineer, petroleum engineer or? I'm actually a civil engineer. Civil engineer. Okay. Civil engineer. So I spent the first part of my career in commercial and in light industrial construction. So I'm in Canada, in Alberta, and then did some delivered a project up in the Alberta oil sands. Some of your listeners might know where those are. Yeah, Fort McMurray. We've, we've got a few that know where that is for sure. <laughs> yeah. So delivered one of the new West mine up there, uh, the last open pit oil sands mine that was built, uh, and then came back into commercial construction and then moved into what I'm doing now. So. Okay. So let's talk about what you're doing now, because that's really not the field of engineering. You're kind of a... Uh, and I'm old, Aaron. Back in my days, you know, we called them motivational speakers. And I think today we call them life coaches. And I think if we go to your website, that's what you're doing now, right? Yeah. So I do some speaking and I do some coaching, but mostly what I, what kind of fills the bucket now and keeps me the busiest is working in a really deep way with intact teams across the oil and gas, commercial construction, engineering fields like working with that team to really develop the skill of empathy and develop the skill, but also then translate it or implement it into how we have conversations, how we run meetings, how we get things done so that it becomes kind of an embedded tool or behavior inside that team. And it's actually the specialties about having difficult conversations, right? That tends to be where the most people reach out and need the most support or want the most support is in that I got to have a tough conversation with a team member or a client or an owner or a subtrade. How do I do that and preserve the relationship? Because I still need them. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about how do you do that? 
How long do you have, Russell? No, I'm just joking. You go up to them and you point your finger in their face and you say, listen, buddy, you got a problem and I want you to do something about it right now. I think that's how it used to be done for sure. I've definitely had those conversations earlier in my career. What it starts with is we got to do exactly the opposite, I think, of what we want to do at the time, which is exactly that. We want to exert some force. We want to lay down an ultimatum of sorts. We want people just to like fall in line and do what we say we need them to do. And the reality is, is we're not working on assembly lines. There's lots of different nuances. We tend to like hire the creative people, the people that can really do good problem solving. But when push comes to shove, then we want them to stop using that skill. One of the first things that we talk about when we talk about having difficult conversations is you really got to be mindful of what is the desired outcome and what really matters most. Do you need these people? Like, do they have to get something done? When I was a general contractor, I could lay down the lie. I could set an ultimatum, but if the subtrade walked off the job site, it didn't put me any further ahead. You know, in fact, it's going to cost me time and money to replace them. So I really had to think about what is the most important thing I'm trying to do here? You know, and one, it's preserve the relationship. If anything, I want to make it stronger and better. I really need them to finish their scope of work, or I really need them to do this thing. How can I go about doing that? And you got to kind of keep anchored in that because I think when you get into the conversation and things get heated or somebody might say something that gets your back up, it's really easy to go to a place of like, I'm going to win at all costs. And when you do that, that's when you usually lose, right? That's when you lose. Yep. We start by what matters most and then it really goes down to, and this is where the skill of empathy comes in is what do I think is going on with them? And if I don't know, or if I don't have a good idea of what might be going on with them or what might be important to them, I need to get curious and ask some questions before I lay down that ultimatum of what I think needs to happen because I might be missing some really important information. You just said something I think very important. And if people could just learn to do this, even if you want to make a harsh statement, if you can turn it into a question, that kind of softens it a little bit, right? Well, yeah, I think when a question, especially if it's a what or a how kind of question, there's a couple of things it conveys, like it almost, there's a level of sincerity that comes with that, a, a level of curiosity. It's perceived as non-threatening. And generally people like to talk about themselves and share what's going on, like share their work or what they might be thinking about a certain particular project or aspect or because we're hired to do a job, like we're all professionals. We all have an expertise on the job site or in the industry. So if we allow people to share with us what's on their mind, it gives us information that we're usually missing and it allows us to see why they might've done what they did based on what's important to them or what they think the ultimate solution was. I generally believe and firmly every day, I don't think people show up to work to do a bad job. I really don't. Even though sometimes to some of us leaders, it might feel like that. Yeah, you've got to have more empathy than that. In fact, something you told me, we call it empathy or we call it connection. And these are often skills that are categorized as soft, but they're actually not soft at all. They're actually hard and they're the most difficult to learn, aren't they? Yeah. They're the hardest to practice, the most difficult to learn. And the people that have them in the conversations have the ability to determine the outcome of the conversation. And they tend to be the ones that are the owners of the relationship and the conversation. I think what I have seen and experienced and witnessed is that when we master these skills, we actually have the power. 
whether you have positional power or not, but you own the power in the conversation when you can master these types of skills. That's interesting. You talk about mastering these types of skills. I'm sure you have, and I know I've dealt with lots of folks over my career, and they come up with this, that's just the way I am. Are these something like a gift an athlete has, or you either have it or you don't have it, or is it something you actually can master? It's something you can actually learn to do. I'm not a psychologist by any means or psychiatrist. I think there is probably a, a, a personality type that is incapable of empathy. However, for most of us, it is something we can learn. It's not something we're born with. It is a muscle we need to build. So the analogy I like to draw is the human body is capable of doing a push-up. Now, there's going to be some people that are physically not able to do a push-up, but it's a very small percentage of the human population. You may not be able to do one today, but you are capable of learning how to do one and then probably 10 and then maybe 15, but you have to practice it and you have to keep doing it and you have to take feedback on form. You have to sit through the discomfort of your muscles being sore. And the same is true when we learn a new skill like empathy or listening or how to accept feedback. It's going to be a little sore. You're going to have to try a few reps. You're going to have to practice a lot and then you will get better at it. You mentioned your book was actually kind of the result of some journaling you did when you were, I guess, going through a difficult time in a relationship with one of your children. Can you talk about that or give us some examples? Or Yeah, for sure. So when my daughter was in grade six, we found out through some testing that she was actually only reading at a kindergarten level. We didn't know. The teachers kept saying, well, there's something just off and we're not really sure what it is. But she's a really pleasant girl and we really like having her in the classroom. But it took us quite a few years to dig into what was really going on. And in grade six, we got the news that she had pretty severe ADHD and reading disabilities and math disabilities and learning challenges in those areas. So I ended up taking a 10-month leave of absence during that time, right after that information was gained by our family to support her and kind of getting her caught up and getting her back into a school and a system that would be more supportive to her learning I went from three kids in a full-time job to now just taking care of three kids. So it felt like I had some time on my hands. And for four hours a day, I was sitting in a coffee shop across the street from her tutoring center. That's where I just kind of started to write and think about, you know, like what might be next for me in my career. And at the time in my career, I was starting to get invited to a lot of conversations that were focused around how do we keep women, specifically female engineers in the industry and mid-career female engineers, which I happen to be one of. And so it was a time and a chance to kind of reflect on that question. And the book is a bit of a response to that. And what it really boiled down to me was, I never felt like anybody who led me in my career up until that point really understood what I was going through as a mom, as a woman, as a wife with three little kids in this very male-dominated industry. For me, it really came down to this point of like, you know, if we practice more empathy as leaders, if we got more curious, if we could put ourselves in other people's shoes, maybe our industry would shift enough that we would actually be able to not only attract, but retain the manpower and the labor that we need in our industry, which I think is still drastically short on labor. Yeah, we're especially having a tough time with that right now. So you said you're a civil engineer. You said you're in Calgary, Alberta. We're actually recording this in January, so uh, I know you're enjoying the tropical weather at the lake right now. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> tropical. Just curious, what is the temperature there right now? 
Today is about minus 20 Celsius. I just shoveled the driveway before coming in to record this because I got to go pick kids up from school afterwards. So I needed to get my car out. But this weekend we hit minus 40 here in Calgary. And I don't know if your listeners know this or not, but that's where the two scales meet Celsius and Fahrenheit. So it was cold. It was definitely cold here. Yes, that is definitely cold. Okay. And so you go to school in Canada or? I did go to school in Canada. Yep. Okay. So you got your degree in civil engineering. You just self-teach yourself this, you know, you Mm -hmm. go from what we would call technical excellence to, I think this is called emotional intelligence. Yeah. So some of it was definitely self-taught. I'm a pretty avid reader myself, but I've also done a couple of different coaching certifications. I do a lot of workshops and just learning on my own and assessments and self-development work, I would say. And a lot of it is things that I've tried myself. So before I left my engineering career, after I published the book, I was sort of like, well, I got to go give this a shot and see if some of these things that I think would work, would they actually work? And so the last five years I was in my engineering career, I really tried to lean on these skills of empathy and really tried to put myself in other people's shoes. I tried to allow for emotion on the job site. I tried to understand what was important to other people. And it was really fun, Russell. It was really fun. We had a great time delivering projects. We had high-performing teams. And it was after one of the last big projects I delivered, I sort of said, I want to have a bigger impact. I don't just want to impact one team at a time here as I work through my corporate career. I want to be able to work with multiple teams you know, in deeper ways. And that was really the drive to go out on my own and start to teach what I knew. And now... I'm constantly learning based on other teams that are implementing things and new research as it comes out, but I'm a lifelong student. So most of your clients, are they in engineering and construction or oil and gas or what? Yep. Owners, services, designers, some in the investment community. So yeah, I think, you know, naturally it's kind of where my network was when I went out on my own. So I haven't branched too far away from that yet. When did exactly you go out on your own? I was doing the work internally for the company that I worked for, for a couple of years pre-pandemic. And then during the pandemic was when I went out on my own. It seems like a strange time too, but it was a real gift. I had kids home. I had people looking for, it was a struggle for a lot of leaders to figure out how to lead during that time. So I had people reaching out, looking for training and coaching services. And it was convenient because we were all figuring out how to go online and do this work online. And so the stars sort of aligned. So I've been on my own since 2020. That was actually the reason I asked the question is how that related to the pandemic and that sort of thing. So that actually was your ability to teach this, I guess, what, online or through Zoom or Teams or whatever. It was actually a perfect opportunity for you. Do you still do most of it online or do you travel all over the country or what? Yeah. So I've definitely traveled a lot more in 2023. It's slowly been kind of ramping back up. There's still a lot of companies, I think, with I mean, I did a session this morning for a company that we had people dialing in all over Canada and the US. So it was really convenient. We could do a two-hour session and not disrupt people's lives for three days. Exactly. That's exactly right. 
it was great. We had big impact, had everyone's attention, got them together, had some great discussions, and nobody has to disrupt their whole life to be able to do that. So I think there's definitely a time and a place. I mean, next week I'm going to location because I think leaders and teams are also seeing that there is a time and a place to come together in person where we need to make some of those deeper personal relationships and we need to be face-to-face. And there are some real benefits to that. I don't know if it's 50-50, but there's definitely a lot more in person now than there was before. But I don't think online is going away at all from what I've seen. I think there's a real time and place for it. Yeah, you and I are doing this online right now. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why we couldn't have figured this out earlier, but we started doing these podcasts. It was always, well, when are you going to be in Houston so we can sit down and do a podcast? You know, As a result of the pandemic and having to learn to do it online, we've been able to expand tremendously. So give me a little teaser. So I dialed into your workshop this morning. What did I learn? I think it's easier for us to recognize when we're not acting with empathy because we can identify some of those behaviors. So pretty much across, well, I mean, you were talking about it too. You're having some unseasonal weather in Houston. So we started with a safety moment around driving and snowy conditions and the roads. And somebody used the example of somebody cuts you off in traffic. And I think all of us can relate to that at one point in our lives or another. And we just explored. So what's our immediate reaction? Well, our immediate reaction is to say like, this person's an idiot. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to drive. They've obviously done it on purpose. And we can get pretty judgmental about that. And we can get pretty heated and fired up and pretty triggered, if you will. There's another option to respond to that, which is just like, allow them to take their space and wish them well. You know, and I think that's a lot harder of a space for most of us to get into. But that is the difference between reacting in what we might refer to as our saboteur brain or our judgmental brain versus responding with empathy and curiosity. Like, I wonder what else might be going on for that person. After the group was done sharing, I said, I'm in the process of teaching three teenagers how to drive. I can tell you, we cut people off all the time and it's because they're brand new and they don't know. Yeah, that's true. For guys like me, I assume the worst, which is probably not good because I figure they probably are idiots. But even if they are, it goes back to something I think you said that was very important at the beginning. What is your end result? What are you trying to accomplish? What is your goal? And even though I think the guy is an idiot and I'd really like to give him a piece of my mind and I'd like to get on his bumper or get on my horn or pass him and give him the finger or whatever, you know? Yeah. Is that really what I want an hour from now or two hours from now? Do I want this thing to have, in Texas, we carry guns, you know? Do I want this thing to have escalated? I mean, really, is it worth it? It seems like, I don't know, it's almost worth the price of admission for the podcast here today, you know? What do you really want out of this thing? You can apply that to everything. I use it all the time when I'm in conversation with my teenagers. They can be very taxing. They're trying It's difficult. And I always think about like, what do I want most? What's most important in this conversation? And usually it comes back to something around, I want them to keep talking to me. And at the end of this, I need to have a relationship with this child. What's going to get me there? And if I think about it in the context of work or, you know, and in this case, safety, we want people to go home the same way that they came to work. That's exactly right. At the end of the day. So if they have done something wrong or I witness something that could be done better, if I go up finger in the face and start giving someone the gears, is that really going to aid them in going home whole? 
Like that has to be the end mind. Like what behavior is going to get them to actually listen and want to do the thing I need them to do. And it usually, usually starts with me understanding why they did it the way they did it in the first place. I think you answered my question. This isn't like uh, natural athletic ability. It is something that you really have to work at, right? You do. You got to practice it every day. There is some research that, you know, shows like our judgmental kind of logical decision-making brain is one side. And then we've got this kind of creative empathy, like empathy circuitry on the other side of our brain. And you got to choose which one you're working out because just like our physical muscles, the paths we maintain and use in our brain will grow stronger and the ones that we don't will grow weaker. So if you're not practicing thinking about how you want to show up and thinking about responding curiously and asking some questions and really trying to understand what other people are going through, you're losing it. Like you're losing the skill. It's not that you can't rebuild it, but it's going to be harder because you're starting from a less place, I guess. Well, and since we're using all these athletic illustrations and working out and practicing and all that sort of thing and the importance of how you have to do that, you need a coach, don't you? Well, most of the time, <laughs> right? Most of the time. I mean, some of us can go to the gym and wing it, but we don't usually get very far. So yeah, I think that's the thing. It's what I find with a lot of the people that I work with, Russell, is that they can catch when they've maybe made a misstep, when they've handled something in a way that hasn't gotten them the result that they want. But when we first start doing this, it's really hard to know how to do something different because the muscle just isn't there. Like you just don't have circuitry. So that's where a coach can be really helpful in terms of like, okay, so this was a situation. This is how I reacted and it's not how I want to be, but I don't know how I would have responded differently. And that's where a coach can really help provide some space to explore and come up with some new solutions. And then you can get right back in there and try it a different way. Well, there you have it. I mean, even the most, going back to the athletic illustration, again, the most gifted athletes in the world with just God-given incredible skills, they all surround themselves with coaches. Aaron, if someone wants to get in touch with you, you have your own website, which is? I do. It's uh, www.aaronthorpe.ca, and Thorpe is T-H-O-R-P, no E. Okay. So your parents didn't know how to spell. Um, <laughs> I won't tell my father-in-law you said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was tacky. I, <laughs> that was on my mind because I just interviewed a guy whose name was Russell. And, uh, of course, my name is Russell, but it's with two L's and his was with one L. And uh, We got into a little banner about whose parents knew how to spell, you know, that sort of I thing. Know. So anyway, that's great. Well, Aaron, I really appreciate it. We'll put that website in the show notes. I guess this book, Inside Out Empathy. Get that on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or what? Yep. Anywhere you buy books. It's available. anywhere you buy books. Okay. All right. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Aaron, I've really enjoyed the conversation. I think it's been very beneficial. I hope our listeners have enjoyed. Thank you again for coming on the show. And as always, thanks to everybody out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or just simply hit that. I know sometimes 
people don't read the show notes, but there's a review link in the show notes. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vine's OGGNHSE podcast. Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting. Knowledge Vine is error reduction at works. And speaking of books, if you want to learn about the most advanced safety technology adapted from the human performance principles of the nuclear and aviation industries, then check out the book entitled Remedy, the formula for an evolving human performance culture. It's available at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy books online. However, I still have a few limited copies left that my listeners can get for free if they'll reach out to me on LinkedIn and request it. And you can discover more about Knowledge Vine by finding in the show notes its website link and other contact information. As always, please reach out to me on LinkedIn for any show suggestions on topics or guests, or if you're looking for a speaker or you want a copy of the book, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.